the first lesson of public speaking, whether it's public speaking or preaching or whatever, do they care? If they don't care what you're teaching on, you can't be good enough. The, the master, of course, of communication was Jesus. I'm amazed how he would target. If he's talking to fishermen, he'll, he'll, he'll say, you know, when you're mending your nets, well, that's those guys' life. If he's talking to farmers, you know, you've got three kinds of soil. He's talking to shepherds, what do you do when you've got 100 sheep and 99 at the, end, at the end of the day? He made it relevant. It's possible to be a really good speaker and not relevant. So whenever I'm thinking about where do we want to go, my first thought is, what do you care about? Because if, if you don't care, I, I, I can't communicate well enough to make you care. You've got to automatically care. That's why we did the whole thing on the battle. Because you, you ought to care, you're involved. I think we care about what's happening nationally right now. You can't watch the news and not, not be pulled in. So we've got to talk about it here. The United States of America, not really. We're not united, we're not close. One nation under God, not really. We're the divided states. The divide's incredible today. This divide did not begin with the Trump presidency. It's always been there, but it seems more pronounced to me. We have uh, the, the right, which tends to be leaning conservative. We have the left, which tends to be leaning liberal. The conservatives say, Obama's the worst president of my lifetime. The liberals say, Obama's the best president of my lifetime. Conservatives say, Trump has the potential to be the best president. He's going to undo the Obama years. The liberals say Trump's an embarrassment. He's uncouth. He tweets about the weight of a beauty pageant girl. Clearly the worst president of my lifetime. Conservatives, Obamacare was a disaster. You, can't, you don't get to keep your own doctor. Premiums are racing through the roof. Poor care we can't pay for. Thank you, Obama. The liberals would say, Obamacare shows the heart of America. Literally millions of people have health care that were denied them in the past. Thank you, Obama. Conservatives say Obama more than doubled the national debt in giveaways. We now in debt by over $24 trillion, which, by the way, is $222 billion in debt service interest. In this one-hour service, we're hundreds of thousands of dollars behind, even more. Thanks, liberals. Liberals would say, yes, there's a debt. Spent to help lives. Trump says, beef up the military. Spend billions more on bombs helping nobody. Thanks, conservatives. Liberals would say, Trump wants to build a wall around our country. Has he forgotten? Give us the poor, the huddled masses. Has he forgotten? We're a nation of immigrants. Ban all Muslims. They all must be terrorists. Can he manage to offend every single nation on earth? Surely you're not blind to this. Conservatives would say, how about no borders at all? Yes, we're a nation of immigrants, lightly legal. He didn't stop all Muslim countries, just seven nations, with a history of terrorism. Surely you're not blind to this. And the talking points, Republican, Democrat, they're clear, they're mean. The Democrat talking points. Democrats are the party of anarchy. There are no Trump voters tearing down statues today. You call for open dialogue. You call for freedom of speech. But you're the real fascists. Wear a mega hat on campus or an inner city and watch what happens to your free speech. You're the fascists, not us. You're banned to kill a mockingbird. One of the great books of all time. Why? 
It's got the N-word. One person in the book, Bob Ewell, uses it over and over and over. Purposely. That Bob Ewell in the book is illiterate. He's pitiful. Maybe the point they're making is that someone that can use the word design only to hurt somebody else, even hurt an entire culture, that person is illiterate and pitiful. Maybe we should teach this truth rather than ban the book. And where's the book banned? Democratic strongholds. Your candidate's a joke. It's a gaffe a week. This week, 120 million people have died because of COVID-19. 120 million? Say what? Now the Democrats have their talking points. You conservatives must be so proud. Trump's a narcissist. He's a bully. He's divisive. No wonder a divided country under his leadership. He can't even keep his own team with him. He hires them. They're the greatest on earth. He fires them. They're idiots and traitors. There's never been a president who tweets so much garbage he looks like a fool. But that's what narcissists do. He claims he's healed the economy. It was turning under Obama. He's jumped on a train already moving and he's calling himself the engineer. Is there a trade deal he hasn't broken? Is there an international promise he hasn't broken? No empathy for the underprivileged. It's all about him. Both sides. Firing bullets. Aggressive. Brutal. Mean-spirited. All I did was go online and look at the talking points. I haven't told you what you haven't heard. And it's going to build. It's going to get worse as we get closer to November. We're going to end up what was called backwards voting. 2016 was called the year of backwards voting. In other words, Hillary Clinton got votes who didn't buy into her. They just could not vote for Trump. Trump got votes who could not buy into him. They just could not vote for Hillary Clinton. Americans held their noses and voted against someone. They didn't vote for a candidate. They voted against a candidate. Backwards voting. And the media works our divide. And they become the source of information for who you want. If you tend to be liberal, you love MSNBC. That Rachel Maddow, she's got her act together. That's news. If you tend to be conservative, you love Fox. That's Sean Hannity. He's got his act together. That's news. If you tend to be liberal and you want sarcasm and some truth, spend time with Michael Moore. Not only creative and funny, but that's real truth. If you tend to be conservative and you like sarcasm and truth, spend time with Rush Limbaugh. Not only creative and funny, but that's real truth. The Fox on Five, Greg Gunfield, Jesse Water, facts and so much fun. If you're a liberal, the view. Who doesn't love Whoopi and Joy Behar? Ah! Have you had it? Is there a point when you go crying out loud? Have you had it? I could go on and on and I could, I could take the entire service on the argumentative talking points of either side. I just throw out an example. But I didn't tell you anything you hadn't heard before. None of this is new. Sadly, it's relevant. We've got to talk about it. Now, in the series, let me lay down a couple of, of general rules. This platform is not going to be used to endorse anybody. If when the series is over, you can figure out who I'm going to vote for, then I have failed. But into this national divide, into this national anger, we're trying to bring the gospel. It, in this national huge division, Satan uses it against the gospel. That's what we care about. Because remember we said before, Scripture is very clear on Satan. It calls him evil. It never calls him stupid. And this national divide for Satan is the gift that keeps on giving. There's someone here 
that heard my Republican talking points. And you went, yeah, about time you said something that made sense. The best thing you've said since you got here last November. There are some people here who are going to vote Democrat. They're going, when I gave the Democrat talking points, you went, yeah, about time you said something that made sense. Best thing you said since you've been here since last November. Finally, Satan will use the cultural divide to try to divide a united church. So we've got to guard against this. Wait a second. Satan would use an election against the church? You're kidding. I guess I was. I wish I was. Let me go back to 2016 election. Something that happened at Valpo. We were given these voter guides about candidates and how they voted. And we we put them in the foyer. I didn't even announce they were there. If somebody noticed them, they wanted to take a look, fine. A family came to me that was leaning pretty liberal. They said, I can't be a part of this church. If you're going to put right-wing propaganda in the foyer, they left the church. Another family who leaned pretty conservative, came to me and said, you know, you're ducking the issues. You're gutless if you put them in the foyer. You need to take those up on the platform and walk us through those. Speaking power to issues. I, I, I told them I was uncomfortable doing that. I didn't want to give the impression that I was endorsing a candidate or a party. In aggravation, they also left the church. To the conservative, we did too little. Got to leave this church. To the liberal, we did too much. Got to leave this church. But both of them agreed on one thing. Jesus told them they had to leave, which was confusing to me. I couldn't figure out where Jesus was on the issues. Jesus appeared to be clueless. Was he conservative? Was he liberal? The liberals had to leave because Jesus told them to. The conservative had to leave because Jesus told them to. Doesn't Jesus know what he's doing? Or could it be Jesus didn't tell anybody to use? He's a trump card we use because who's going to argue against Jesus? Now, one of the families I did lose sight of, they moved out of Indiana. But the other family did go to a different church. They have since by then left that church also. That church must have done something wrong, and Jesus told them to leave again. See what's happening? We're living so fragile. Can Satan use a political divide to a fragile church? Yeah! So we got to guard against it. That's where we want to go. Because I fear this divide is going to get larger, not smaller, as we inch toward the November election. And again, for Satan, this is the gift that keeps on giving. It provides Satan the opportunity to divide a church, and a divided country is starving for a united church. I'm not saying agree. I'm saying be united. And the church tends to be a political battleground, even in the political sphere. 2016 election, I got to go back to this. I got a letter with a warning that I'd never received in the past. It was not to me personally, it was just dear pastor. It was a form letter. It was from an organization I hadn't heard of, the organization American Unity of Separation of Church and State. It was from their director, a guy named Barry Lynn. I don't know him. I had no idea why I got this letter. I had no idea who he was, who his organization was. I had these questions. Was it sent to all Midwestern cities or churches of a certain size, larger churches and maybe in Republican districts? Was it sent to Democratic districts as well? I I don't know. But the letter was clear. Any politically themed sermons or political endorsement from the pulpit in any fashion, you could lose your tax-exempt status. It was a first for me. I'd never been threatened based on my teaching. 
Especially since I was always very careful never to endorse a political party or, or, or a political candidate. Never. In fact, as I gave the talking points this morning, I hope you sensed I gave them both with equal enthusiasm. But let's cut down to the core. Politicians understand. Get votes at any cost, and that cost costs something. In other words, raise money. The only way to get votes is to promise the American dream. The American dream. Whether we admit it or not, it's who we are. Now the term American dream is a phase that's first used in the book in 1931 by historian James Adams in his book, The Epic of America. He writes, The American dream of a better, richer, happier life for all of us citizens of every rank, which is the greatest contribution yet to be made to the welfare of the world. The American dream comes across as a, as a good thing. A lot of work. And I, I, I saw the dream come true. It's my house. It's my car. It's my income. It's my comfort. It's my lifestyle. The American dream fundamentally is about me. Me. You want my vote? Give me. Increase my needs. Me. And Jesus comes across and he kind of tells us the exact opposite. Not me, but Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. You are now a living sacrifice. You are to die out to yourself. So the gospel is somewhat pinned against this American dream. And without realizing it, sometimes pastors can get sucked in to preaching the American dream. I was driving home from a conference late, late at night. Late, late night radio is lousy, but I needed the radio on to kind of keep me awake. It's one of those things where I, I was retired. And I found this guy preaching. It's a famous guy. I'm not going to say his name, but you would know him. Gigantic church. His church is literally a stadium. He preached, you can. You will. God exists to bless you. Which is, there's some truth to that. But there was just enough Jesus talk to give a church feel, but basically he's preaching the American dream. He's got huge crowds. Of course he does. He's tapped into the American religion. The dream, it's all about me. The American religion today is the American dream. I thought his speech would have been perfect for Kiwanis. But there was very little gospel there. We didn't talk about discipleship. We didn't talk about surrender. He didn't talk about lordship. I never had this feeling of thus saith the Lord. But it was about the American religion. And the American religion today is the American dream. And so we tend to find churches for me. We have long ago forgotten, ask not what your, you, you can do, what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That's long gone. And in our churches, we tend to say, what can this church do for me? As opposed to how can God use me to further the kingdom using this church? There, there are comedy, there's a comedy team that has mastered sarcasm. And just another little communication tip. Sarcasm is the hardest form of comedy because there's got to be truth to it. If there's no truth to it, it comes across as stupid. But if you can measure truth within sarcasm, it's a biting comedy. And it's a team that does sarcasm really well because it's, it's funny, but it slaps us in the face and kind of hurts. They did a video on the fragileness of people looking for churches. I thought it would be good to take a look. Take a look at the video.
Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right. I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cried during Cake Boss. So, like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey, guys. What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey, guys. Welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, that's wow. good. Big deal. He does dress his age, though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed? Oh. No. Okay, got it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Okay? Right, let's Come on. Let's do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. So you need. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Oh. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No. I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, okay. it's pretty traditional here. So when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> but the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, oh. for the yeah. Yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the sanctuary walk of shame. Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Um, Scripture-heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. 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 What about, uh, is it community-oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. Super rare nowadays. Come with me. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents come into town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday, holiday type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just, you're just going to put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that? your heart, okay? On the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really going to love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as interdenominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. <laughs> the Tumblr Bible. I'm sorry. Do you know why that sarcasm works? It's true. The only way sarcasm works has got to have some truth to it. There are people that are spending their whole life church hunting. Or they'll leave a church over a pamphlet in the foyer. So fragile. It's not that way around the world. People huddle in meetings in fear just to read the Bible in Muslim countries. People are being executed in Egypt, in prison for their faith. Tammy and I had the privilege of participating in a church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, which had to be the most 
poor country I've ever seen. And in their worship service, they begin to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. They're raising their hands, praising God. I'm thinking, exactly what are your blessings? they're, They're living in tin huts. The big difference, they're not lost in the American dream. They're not fragile. Their life in Christ is so much more than the church. It's a passion for Christ, and you can't derail these people. You get a sense of power when you're just with them. Is the American dream about me? Am I just waiting to be derailed? Am I constantly fragile? Satan looks for different weapons in different parts of the world. For us, I wonder if it's the American dream that he uses against us. And the American dream is good at face value. Fragile, willing to be derailed. I will leave this church over a pamphlet in the foyer or he didn't talk about his pulpit. Or I will leave because I didn't participate the way they wanted to. Or I will leave because nobody said good morning. Never staying long enough to be a part of the production of the kingdom and what we're trying to accomplish. God's ordained church. Satan feeds on fragile. Modern culture. People are constantly shopping for a church. People are moving from church to church to church. Why? I wasn't being fed there. No, the bottom line is it's about you. You're using the American dream. That's why statistics A faithful attender is now evaluated at 1.8 times a month. You're considered a faithful attender at 1.8, I don't know what 0.8 is, but 1.8 times a month. And there's been a subtle change in the marketing of us because the American dream was so dominant. A generation ago, marketing was based on you earned it. Not now. Now, whether it's McDonald's or a vacation, the catchphrase is not you earned it, you deserve it. Whether it's a Big Mac or housing or health care, you deserve it. It's for you because our culture is dominated by me. It's found its way in the church. Worship should be all about me. Politicians work for me, my vote. And now they have to come to us and say, I will get you the American dream. So we hold them accountable. What are you doing for me? We hold Trump, like every other president, feet to the fire. At some level, you got to provide for me the American dream. What amazed me, at the end of the 2016 elections, the exit polls, only 34% of the electorate thought Trump possessed a presidential temperament. 34% bought into him. It didn't matter. He won the narrative. He successfully sold himself as the incarnation of the American dream, a deal maker who could take a $2 million stake and build it into a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And there are people saying, hey, yeah, $2 million stake. A lot of people start with $2 million and end up with nothing. As he did all that, maybe he can do that for me. The tide will come in, all boats go up. Win the narrative. If America is great again, then that's me too. So obviously, statistics show, churches in America are in decline. Of course they are. This is not about the American dream. This is about a living sacrifice. It goes against everything that we're bombarded with every single day. True discipleship may be costly, but we got to push back from the American dream that you're going to get hounded with for the next few months. Come to find out this true discipleship is worth more than anything the American dream can offer. This came up. The issue was, How valuable is the kingdom? So Jesus answered it. Jesus, the ultimate storyteller, basically told two quick stories. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Here's Jesus' response. I want you to see it. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. One day a man found the treasure and he hid it again in the field. He was so happy he went and sold everything he owned just to buy that field. Second story kind of built in. Also, the kingdom of heaven is like a man looking for fine pearls. He found a very valuable pearl. He sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is making a pretty clear point. The kingdom of heaven is priceless, worth more than anything we can imagine. Abandon ourselves of everything for it. The first story, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. I love the story. The man found it, put it back, and sold everything. Do you see this guy? He's walking in the field. He stumbles across this treasure. He can't believe. This is worth more than anything he's ever had. The first thing he does, did anybody see? He reburies it. He goes back and sells everything he has. People in town are saying, are you crazy? You're selling off everything. You're buying this field. They might even mock you. I can see this guy. I have a hunch. You smile as they walk away shaking their heads because you are gaining so much. You have found this treasure. The second story is the same thing, isn't it? But now he's found a pearl. Now, for them in their days, there was nothing more valuable than a pearl. It was the ultimate. Uh, that's why when, when they tried to describe the entranceway to heaven, they had to think, what's the ultimate? They called it pearly gates. Pearl to them was the absolute. And so this guy finds this pearl. Well, yeah. He sells everything because it's all that valuable. In other words, abandon everything about me that I might be a part of the kingdom. Well, that's the opposite of what culture tells us. Because culture tells us, abandon nothing, it's about me. So the gospel is basically the, the antithesis, the exact opposite of everything we're bombarded with, particularly in a presidential year. Because they got to make promises of the American dream, which is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is about kingdom, desiring kingdom, living kingdom. Here he goes again, we can't shut him up. What is living kingdom? Living my life every day that God received glory. Isn't it amazing how many biblical stories and biblical things come back to that over and over and over? It's not like I'm looking for them. They're just there. It's, we're dominated by that thought, kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. May thy kingdom come. Living my life in such a way that God received glory. And here it is again. The kingdom is worth more than anything we can dream of. The kingdom is worth more than anything we can acquire. The kingdom is worth more than the American dream. It's a critical question. And it may not make all that gigantic difference if you are an aggressive Democrat or an aggressive Republican. The world is looking for a united church united around something bigger than that. Kingdom. A divided country is starving for a united church. Even though politically we may disagree. The American dream is sold by politicians, whether you're far left or far right. They're going to come back to that sooner or later. The best news is living kingdom. God comes along and then says, I will help you in this journey of living kingdom. Now, it's not easy. The birth of Jesus has this wonderful statement, Matthew 1.23. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us with us. You're not the Lone Ranger. The God we worship seems to have emotions. And he's chosen to pour out his love with us. He wants to be with us. You want to be with people that you enjoy. He wants to be with us because we enjoy him. He found this guy named Abraham 
who was willing to walk with him. I love that wording. Abraham abandons everything for this love. And out of his descendants, God established a nation of chosen people. God came to dwell in that nation with all of his glory. He became the center of their existence. That's what kingdom is. The center of our existence. And it's very difficult because Satan's weapon to us, particularly in a political year, is the American dream. That's the reason for his name. Emmanuel, God with us. How powerful. God wants to be a part of our everyday life. He says, even closer than a brother. If this would ever dawn on us, really, let us fall on our knees in thanksgiving. It is worth the abandonment of the periphery, specifically the American dream, which is going to be sold to you in manners that you can't imagine between now and November. This discipleship versus the American dream in a political year, we're going to expand on this. We, we, we need to keep our, our focus on the very big picture rather than political divides. Because we live in a nation more divided than I think it's ever been. And more brutal. And frankly, as you heard some of those talking points, I didn't make them up. You're almost stunned by how mean they truly are. Discipleship. And our culture of America. We're going to build on this next Sunday. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we live in perilous days. And as we've said, it's, it's days that uh, Satan feels it's a gift that keeps on giving. A divided nation becomes very easy to divide the church. Because the fact of the matter is, we don't all agree politically. We have that right. But the fact of the matter is, we can keep our eyes on the, the biggest picture of all in kingdom, and we can all agree there. Father, I'm convinced our country is going to be starving for a united church despite a divided country. And may they discover there's a, a love, a respect, an honor between each other. And there is a love and respect because we are striving for kingdom and we abandon everything for that. That we live our life in the big picture. We pray for your wisdom and strength don't allow the enemy to damage us as there will be churches who will be severely damaged in the next few months. And we're not here to condemn them. We get nothing by that. But we're here to have a resolve, a peace, and a wisdom as we seek first the kingdom in the holy name of Jesus.